Thank you, Ryan. Awesome. Uh, what a great testimony of what God has done, is doing in his life. And we love those stories. And we're in a, a series now called I Am. And uh, we've been talking about identity. And like we've been talking about uh, as we began this series, we oftentimes have things in our life or people in our life who define us, tell us who we are, what we should be. Uh, and God has a plan for us. He has a name for us. We're going to talk about that today. We've been asking, who do you think you are? And today we're going to ask a different question. Who does God think you are? Who does God think you are? How does God look at you? How does God primarily see you? And how should you see yourself when you look through His eyes? Those are great questions for us. And uh, since we're in the book of Ephesians, we're going to jump in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 uh, this morning. We'll kind of uh, do a pretty close study throughout the study uh, of each verses here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to read about any of the, the last few, several books of the New Testament, you would find a similar greeting like this, uh, kind of an opening up saying, this is who I am, this is who you are. But I want to pay attention a little bit to these uh, uh, to a couple of things. First of all, who wrote the letter? The letter was written from the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was, um, Paul, we'll talk more about him in a moment, but he says, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. So, in the Bible, there are followers, there are believers, there are disciples who are called, and then there are apostles, and the word apostle means one who is sent, one who is sent. So, Paul was called, we'll talk about his history in a moment, but he was called to go to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, that's pretty important to me, to be honest with you, because uh, I happen to be a Gentile, and most of you are probably as well. So if we're not for Paul, maybe we would never know Jesus, all right? So that's pretty significant. Uh, nobody else was messing around with the Gentiles or telling them about Jesus till the Apostle Paul kind of stepped on the scene. So that's, that's important there. So it's from Paul. Who's it written to? Well, it's written to, he says, to holy people, holy people. The word we're going to focus on today, another version says saints. And we're going to talk about that, see if that's an accurate depiction of who we are or not. But he says, you are the faithful in Christ Jesus. If you were here last week, we said one of the things that being in Christ allows us to do is to be faithful. So that's pretty significant. Only in Christ can we be faithful. So let's talk a little bit about Paul to kind of kick off our study. Paul's one of the most important people in the Bible. And, uh, and obviously, if you look down through history, and as we kind of roll out his influence, you're going to see that he probably is one of the most important people who ever lived. Paul wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's pretty significant. Uh, Ephesians is just one of those 14 books that he wrote. Half of the book of Acts, he did not write that, but half of the book of Acts, which is the beginnings of the church, actual chrono chronicle, his travels, his many missionary journeys. Paul was the most influential and respected follower of Christ probably ever. He had the greatest influence of anybody else, reaching more people, than it, more than likely, than even Christ himself in his own, his own ministry. So that's pretty huge. That's pretty important. Now, it is, uh, before he met Jesus, Paul was a very religious man. He was a Jewish man, like most of the disciples that followed Jesus. And he had a governmental position of some, of some of a level of, uh, of authority. But he loved God passionately. He loved God with all of his heart. The only problem was he rejected Jesus. He believed that Jesus was a false Messiah, and so he would not follow him. And in fact, he openly opposed Christians, and he made it his life mission to destroy Christianity. He got authority from the government to arrest, imprison, 
to torture and even kill Christians. But if you know the story of Paul, you know that one day on the road to go and do just that, that Paul met up with Jesus. And when he met Jesus, his life was forever changed. You know, when you meet Jesus, I mean, really meet him, your life is going to be dramatically changed. Probably not as much as Paul's, but it's going to be dramatically changed. You know, a lot of people say that, that Paul lost his wife and family whenever he met Jesus and became a follower. And that wasn't all that unusual. When you, if you were Jewish and you left the Jewish faith, you, you, know, you cut off all family ties. Not only that, his colleagues now tried to kill him. He lost all of his wealth, more than likely. He lost his position. He gave up everything for Jesus Christ. And he spent the rest of his life traveling, preaching, starting churches, writing, and mentoring unbelievers, or mentoring believers. Now, Paul's life, while it might sound like he was a great servant, he had a lot of struggles because he was constantly lonely. He lived a lonely life. His, his family was gone, more than likely. Um, and uh, his colleagues no longer wanted anything to do with him. And even some of the other believers who were politically correct, even in that day, they kind of abandoned Paul at certain times. There were times when his opposition was so strong, his enemies were so aggressive that he was kind of left alone. Not only that, he was sickly. He was often beat because of his faith, because of his courage. He's left for dead a couple of times. He was shipwrecked in the open sea. And no doubt his body was covered in scars. So here's a guy who has seen life and lived life. And by the time he's written this, he's kind of an older guy, and he's really been through it. And as we know, he spent a lot of time in jail. And then tradition tells us that he was a martyr. About 67 A.D., he was beheaded in Rome. Now, unlike Jesus, who spent most of his ministry traveling around in smaller towns and traveling in, in, in the countryside, Paul did most of his missionary work in urban areas. He went to the big cities. He went to the places where people uh, were packed in. And Ephesus was one of those cities. In fact, in its day, it was one of the largest cities, probably about a quarter of a million people, which today would not be a huge city, but in that day, it would be like a Chicago if you can imagine you know, going into a city like that, uh, Paul was from a small town, but he, he went to the big urban areas to preach Jesus. Ephesus was a, a busy, busy place, a bustling place. Uh, it was a harbor city, so there was a lot going on there with ships coming in and out. It was on the Roman road, which was uh, the major traveling um, road of that day. It was a major banking city. It was a center of idol worship. In fact, in Ephesus, there was a temple called the Temple of Artemis, or the goddess Artemis which was one of the most uh, famous goddesses of that day. And that temple was one of the seven great wonders of the world. So you can imagine how elaborate that was. So it was a center of, of demonism, of divination, paganism, a very spiritual place, but it was also a very pagan place. And so Paul walked into this great city, this imposing city, and he started preaching Jesus, and he started a riot. I mean, right off the bat, a riot happened, and it kind of moved into the amphitheater to kind of get out of the street uh, but, but there was so much opposition to what he had to say. But he was tenacious, hung in there, ultimately started a church there, and then spent as long there as any spent anywhere, probably two or three years, teaching and preaching to the people there. And then he also established a training center for church planters there in Ephesus. So it's a pretty significant place in Paul's life and in Bible times as well. Now, Paul loved this church, and he cried. There was a there's a time in the, in the book of Acts where it says he met with the elders of the Ephesian church for the last time, and they all wept because they just loved each other, and Paul knew he would never, ever see them again on this earth. So he loves his church and is writing this letter to the church from prison. 
Now remember, this is a book about our identity in Christ, who we are, and Paul wants them to know who they are. Here's the thing, we need to know who we are so that we can know what we're supposed to do. Know who we are so we can know what we're supposed to do. Because we oftentimes become what people tell us we are, right? We become what people tell us we are. For example, when you were small, maybe everybody called you a loser. And you were imprinted with that idea in your mind, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. And you've lived that out in your mind. You, maybe you're you know, great, you're talented, but you think you're a loser. Or maybe they said you were a winner, and you've kind of kept that idea, and you've been successful because you've had a great attitude, and you know who you are. Maybe they said you were a bad person, and so your actions have betrayed who you were told that you were. Or the opposite, maybe you were a good person, you've lived that out as well. So Paul's going to name them. He's going to give them a name. He's going to address them. So what is he going to call these people he's writing to? Should he call it like it is and say you're a bunch of sinners? Or should he say something different, which he does? You already know that. He calls them saints. He calls them holy people or saints. Now wait just a second here. Do you you think that everybody in that church was like really, really good? Do you think there wasn't anybody in the church who was obnoxious or a gossip or some kind of liar or cheat or an addict who was still struggling or an adulterer? I mean, were these just a, a great group of people? Or were they perfect, imperfect like all the rest of us? You know, I think they probably were a normal church. I think there were probably people there that were pretty decent, some that weren't so decent, some were rotten eggs uh, altogether and, you know, um, questionable character. I mean, I, I think most churches, they, they probably would be pretty common, pretty average. Let me be clear about something, guys. We're going to talk about what God calls us, but let me just say this. If you are human, you're a sinner. You are a sinner. Every one of us are sinners. And sinners have to deal with their sin, either themselves or through Christ. God doesn't gloss over sin. God doesn't ignore sin. Sin is what sends people to hell. Sin is why Jesus left heaven and came to the earth to die so that we could be forgiven from our sin, and we should never forget that. Unfortunately, even as Christians, we sometimes sin. And we, we could rightfully be called sinners, right? But the amazing thing is that the Bible calls us saints. He call, it calls us saints. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about saints, but, but let me, uh, me kind of tell you what comes to mind. When I grew up, I had a, a very good friend who was Catholic, and he talked a lot about the saints in their church. So if you grew up Catholic, you know a little bit about saints, and you might think that these folks were, were like superheroes, and they are respected and should be respected. I want to say that. But let me also say that saints, those who are recognized that way, were human beings as well. But many, many years ago, the Catholic Church wanted to recognize godly people, and uh, may have been some politics involved as well, but they put together a set of rules for someone to become a saint. So I, I was curious, I mean, what does it take to be, to be recognized as a saint? Well, there's several steps in that, uh, eight or ten. Number one, you have to be Catholic, obviously. Number two, you have to be dead, which is not so, so good news, but you have to be dead. Third, you have to have had local devotion that kind of grew up after you died. So you died, and then people talked about you for a long time, about what a, what a wonderful, godly person you were. You have to have your life investigated and probed for a long time. Any skeletons have to be dug out. The local bishop of the church where you went has to uh, have recommend you. You have to have performed a verifiable miracle. In other words, somebody has to say, this was done by this, by this person when they were alive. And then after that, if that's true, then they are declared blessed. And then there have to be more miracles done in your name 
Those miracles have to, have to be verified as well. And then if all those things happen, a committee declares that you are a saint. Now, I was curious, and I, I just kind of wondered how many saints there were. And, and to be honest, I, I couldn't find a local number. Um, the numbers vary anywhere from less than 1,000 to about 10,000 or so, a little less than 10,000 that have been recognized as saints. Now, you know, that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, and if Paul were only talking to the people who, who were actually given that title of saints, he would be talking to a very small group of people, first of all. And secondly, he would only be talking to people who were already dead because you have to be dead a while to be a saint, all right, recognized as such. So obviously, Paul's not talking to that group of people. He's talking to believers. Paul makes it really simple. And there's no committee and there's no miracle. Good news. Here's the, here's the best news. You can still be alive. You can still be alive and, and be a saint, all right? Paul says you only have to do one thing to be a saint, and that is to be in Christ. To be in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are a saint. Now, several years ago, I preached this message, or not this one, but one like it. I talked about saints, and, uh, and I made um, somewhat of a mistake. Well, it wasn't a mistake. It was a truth, but it had repercussions of that because I said all of us were saints. And, and I said, as hard as it might be to believe, that I, too, am a saint. And so one of the ladies in our church, a wonderful lady, now calls me Saint Nation. And she has done that for several years. Uh, I've never lived that down. But I want it to be open season. I'm going to dispose, uh, impose sainthood on all of you. So it's not clergy. I've known a lot of clergy, a lot of ministers who were not very saintly either uh, at all. Uh, so it's not limited to, uh, to, to the ministers or anything else. You are a saint. You're a saint if you're in Christ. Now, some of you are worried about that. You're worried about that whole idea because it doesn't resonate well with you because you know that you are not perfect, all right, like the rest of us. And, and some of you are, are almost obsessive about that because here's what you think, and here, here's where the sin comes into that. Some of you think that you should be beating yourself up all the time about your sin. Some of you feel like that, you know, you need to beat other people up about their sin too because you don't want anybody thinking they're good enough. And so instead of bragging on somebody, you're going to spend all your time, or yourself, you're going to spend all your time kind of berating yourself and putting yourself down because you're a horrible person, because you're a sinner, and you know it. Not only in the past, but daggone it, you still do some things today that you shouldn't do, right? I remember when I was a kid, we used to sing an old song by Isaac Watts, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Now, some of you all sang that song growing up too, probably. And that song, man, that is a brutal song, isn't it? I mean, for such a worm as I, we, we have the right to think of ourselves like worms. I mean, we compare ourselves to God. He's here and we're down under the dirt somewhere. So maybe that's an appropriate way to think of ourselves as worms. But you know what? Uh, that's not how God sees us. That's not how God sees us. Some of you love to hear, I've noticed this through the years, some of you guys like to hear a sermon that, I mean, beats you up. I mean, it's almost like you want to be abused. You know, the, the harsher I am and the stronger I condemn sin or whatever you're dealing with, I mean, you like to walk out of here with your toes mashed, your shins bruised, your face slapped up. You just love to be beat up because you think, man, if the more he beats me up, the better I feel. And every now and then I'll let you, and I'll do that for you, you know, if you need that, all right. But the reality is that's not my style for the most part. I don't think that changes a lot of people. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait, shouldn't we see ourselves as sinners? I thought we were horrible people. We're sinners, you know. Yes, 
We should. But here's, here's the thing, guys. Our primary should focus should not be that we are sinners, but instead that we have a Savior. I think we can give God an applause for that. Our primary focus should not be that we are sinners, but that we have a Savior. That's what we got to focus on. It's not about us. And you know what? There's not a lot of joy in the Christian life when you think of yourself like a worm, is it? And there's not a lot of love coming out of you when you think about and treat other people like they're worms either. That doesn't, I don't think that helps us a whole lot. And that's not how God sees us either. Now, again, let me go back. And just to be clear, without Jesus, we are worms, all right? Without Jesus, we are lost and we are bound for hell. Maybe you're not a believer, but, but you don't sense that reality. Because to be honest with you, maybe your life's going pretty well. You think, without Jesus, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. But let me tell you what the Bible says. In, in Romans chapter 2, it says that God is storing up wrath, and one day his wrath will be released. It will be released. This past week, maybe you, you probably heard the news, uh, out in California there is a dam that is uh, in, in a dangerous situation. Uh, this dam has got, you know, they were in a drought, but now they're in uh, flood stage, and it's still storming, I think. Uh, but there's so much water behind this dam that it's way above flood stage. It's really high, and that's bad anytime, but it's especially bad because this dam hadn't been cared for very well, and for about 12 years, they worried about it breaking. So there are hundreds of thousands of people who live below this dam, and they say if the dam breaks, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be just devastation. Well, God, here's what the Bible says. One day, that God's dam of mercy and grace is going to break and it's going to spill judgment and punishment on everybody in its path. All those who are sinners are living below the dam and they're living in the safety of God's mercy, but one day it's going to be released and there's going to be, they're going to be destroyed. Because, you see, you're not getting away with anything. It's just being held back right now. But for the Christian, all that judgment, all that punishment has already been released in a measured way on Christ. He's already experienced that for us, and we, are, we benefit, we are forgiven because of that. See, the Bible sees those who are not in Christ positionally as sinners and those who are in Christ as saints because when you meet Jesus, again, everything changes, including your identity. We become this new creation in Christ with a new identity. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that and hard to imagine that because our old past still haunts us in some ways. And it drags us down. But that's why we're giving a new name. And that's why we're to have faith in Jesus. When, when we start thinking, man, I'm the same old person and I've got the same old problems. I'm going to do the same old things. We say, no, it's not true. In Christ, I'm a new creation. I am an, I'm a saint in his eyes. Sin may continue to be a part of your life. And in, at times, sin may actually explain your actions. But it does not have to define your identity in Christ. Remember we talked about that our problems and our challenges may explain us, but they do not define us. You're going to sin some of the time, but you're a saint all the time. It's no longer who you are, and as you understand and you allow Christ to grow in you, you're going to change. Let me give an example of that. As a parent, you want your kids to grow up. I mean, in some ways. I wish our kids were small sometimes. Not all the time, sometimes. Go back and forth would be kind of cool, but, but you want your kids to grow up, especially when they get to be teenagers. And when they're in teen, you know, teenage years, uh, you, want them to, you want them to become independent at some point. I always told my kids, my job is to make you independent. 
That's my job, and I'm going to do that as, you know, as, as we can. And so we pushed our kids that way. We made tons of mistakes along the way, but we pushed them that way. When they were older teens, we began to treat them like adults, and we challenged them to make wise decisions. You know, it's how you treat your kids. There comes a time when your kids are no longer your children. I mean, they are officially, but they're more of a peer, and you have to treat them like an adult at, at some point. And so we, we did that. We encouraged them to make decisions that, that were mature adult decisions. We stopped seeing them and treating them like children and we treated them like adults. Today our kids are independent and they're doing well. If we still called them and treated them like children, they'd probably be living in our basement and living off our money. So we don't want that to happen. We want them to see you're an adult. You're an adult. Launch. Go. Be an adult. Do your thing. You know, so that's, that's a good example. But, but you know what? It doesn't start with teens. It doesn't start with teens. How parents view their children and how they cast vision for their future when they're very young will determine their future in a lot of ways. Lori shared with me last night uh, something she had seen about uh, Thomas Edison. When Thomas Edison was a young child, um, he was at school one day and his teacher sent him home with a note. And the note was all folded up and the, and the teacher said, do not read the note. You take it to your mother, give it to her, do not read it. So he went home and he gave the note to his mother and, uh, and she opened it up and she read it. And he said, mom, what does it say? What does it say? And so she read it to him. And she, uh, she said, the note says, your son is a genius. Our teachers here are not good enough to teach him. You need to homeschool him yourself. And so she did that. You know, she raised him up and obviously he became... A, a prodigy, a genius, Thomas Edison, all these inventions and everything else. But Edison said that when he was older and his mother died, he was going through her things, and he came across that note that she had kept all those years. And he knew what it said, right? But he unfolded the note, and it's, this is what the note really said, your son is mentally deficient. He will never learn anything. Don't send him back to school. But... She spoke vision into him, and she taught him, and he became a genius. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Pretty incredible. And this is the way that Paul is casting vision for us. He is saying, you're not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. You are a saint. This is what you're going to become. Now, the problem with, with that is that some of us are kind of stuck in our primary identity, and it's in our sin, and it's not in our Savior, we're stuck in our sin. That's how we see ourselves, and that's how we keep acting. We don't see our identity in our Savior. And you can't move beyond your past because of shame and guilt and condemnation and established habits and patterns in your life that you know are wrong, but you just keep doing them because that's who you see yourself as. Guys, God has forgiven you, but you can't, maybe you can't forgive yourself. That is sin. That's sin. And it plays right into the hands of the devil himself. You will never think of yourself as free. You will continue to sin as long as you think of yourself in that way. Maybe you think that if you obsess on your sin and you focus on your sins, God's going to be pleased in some way. It's not true. God is not pleased when you obsess on your sin. God is pleased when you accept his love and grace and mercy and you repent from your sins, you turn from it, and remember that he has removed it as far as the east is from the west. That's what God is pleased with, when you honor him by turning from your sin. Now, you may think that, that being called a saint is a stretch for you. And I know some of you, it really is. No, I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm just teasing about that. You may feel like it's a stretch for you, but God is, he is making you holy. He is progressively making you holy. 
doesn't happen in one day. It happens over time. But if you allow His Holy Spirit to work in you, to teach you, to grow you, and change you, you will be made holy. We call it, the Bible calls that sanctification. We don't use those big words a lot. It just means He's making you holy. He's making you more like Jesus. And He's doing that through His Holy Spirit. When you accept Christ, this is important to know, when you accept Christ, your position is in Him, but your condition is constantly changing. And at some point, your condition will match and meet your position in Christ, and you'll be made perfect and holy. So the great news is this, guys. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Now go act like one. Go act like an adult, you know. Go act like a saint. That We all need to hear that sometime. That's why our identity is such a huge deal. Because if your primary identity is a sinner, you're going to keep on sinning. But if you know you're a saint, you're a new creation in Christ, then sinning will be out of character for you. It would be crazy for you to act like that. That's not who you are. And don't get stuck in the trap of thinking that you can't change. And don't think that if you do change, it will be by yourself. You can only do it in Christ. Now, let me give you a couple characteristics of, of saints. A couple of things that saints do. First of all, a saint is remorseful when they sin. Yes, sin may explain some of our actions. It's not who we are, but we're going to do that because we're still in the human body, right? Our condition is not made perfectly holy just yet, and we still sin. But when we do, we need to feel remorseful. We need to feel guilty about that to the point that we acknowledge that and then release it before God. Can you imagine how guilty Paul must have felt after becoming a Christian? I mean, all of his energy was, I mean, he lived to persecute Christians and kill them. He, he rejoiced. He thought he was doing the right thing. But then he became a Christian. He realized that I have persecuted, tortured, imprisoned, and killed God's people. And there are people, there are families out there that I took their father away, their mother, their children. I killed them. Imagine how Paul must have felt. Whenever we sin, we need to have a real sense of the severity of our sin. And to be honest with you, I think sometimes forgiving ourselves is one of the most difficult things we do, as hard almost as acknowledging God's forgiveness for us. Sometimes God has to break our hard hearts. Sometimes He has to shatter us. But sometimes God has to mend our tender hearts and reassure us that we are loved, that we can be forgiven, we can move on. That nowhere can we go that we're too far from the, the love and the mercy of God. And when you realize that, it makes you want to come to Him. It's the love of Christ that compels us to come to Him. And we have to understand how we look at our sin and how we look at ourselves. See, the Bible teaches that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. I don't know if you ever thought how different those two words are, the, the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from God, but condemnation is from Satan. Conviction brings about change, but condemnation brings guilt and hopelessness. Nobody I've ever heard changes their life because they condemn themselves. But conviction brings transformation. Condemnation makes us view God as some sort of tyrant who's always judging us and, and condemning us. But conviction sees God as a loving Father who is correcting and restoring and who has named us as saints and says, now go out there and do better. Go out there and sin no more, is what, the way Jesus said it. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice where he says those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So we are convicted of our sins, we are remorseful, we repent, we're forgiven, and then we move on. The second thing I just noticed about saints is that saints are powerful over sin. 
We have control over our actions. In Christ, we are no longer victims who are powerless to sin or for sin to control us. You know, without Christ, we don't have any, we don't have any power over sins. We're slaves is what the Bible says. But in Christ, we are saints and we have power to say no. You don't have to be a victim anymore. Nobody wants to be a victim that I know. In Christ, you can say no to sin. Romans chapter 6, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For no sin shall be, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. How can we be faithful? By the grace of God in Christ Jesus, when you offer yourselves to God, no longer a slave, but simply a servant, a saint to worship God. You come from darkness to life, from death to life, from sinner to saint. Guys, here's the things. Who you are determines what you do. So you are a saint. Now do the things that a saint does. Be obedient. Do what Jesus did. That's the example. Not for the glory, not for the title, but for Jesus and because he is in us and we are in him. The question we began with, what does God think of you? He thinks pretty highly of you. He really does. If you are a follower of Christ, he loves you. You are his child. You are precious. He is calling you a holy person and a name that we want to live up to. And if you're not yet a Christian, he thinks very highly of you as well. Does he know your sin? He, he does. Is he holding back his judgment and punishment? Yes, he is. Just like the dam holds back the waters. But even though he's a loving God, he's also a just God. And one day, the dam of his mercy will break. And judgment and punishment will fall. And so my challenge to you is to respond to his love and his grace to give your life to Christ, to become a saint. Even though you may wonder how he could ever do it, believe me, he can and he will if you open your life up to him. When you came in, you got a connection card, and if you would like to have a conversation about that, just, just jot down. I want to talk to a minister. I'd love to have that conversation with you. We can talk about what that means, or maybe if some other place in your life that you want to talk to a minister, uh, we would love to do that. So, so let us have the chance. Just indicate that and then, then turn your card in. Right now, we're going to switch gears just a bit, and we're going to move into a time of communion. And um, I was thinking, as I was kind of thinking of this whole idea of sainthood, 